0: church where our mission is to know jesus to enjoy jesus and to glorify jesus in all things Uh, excuse my shorts i thought the podium was going to be here Uh, so for y'all that see me (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) so for y'all that see me live i really was expecting a podium to be here so y'all wouldn't be able to see my shorts Uh, but it's all good though i appreciate that i appreciate that thank you so much all right so, uh, yeah, so again, want to welcome all of our uh, guests who are here with us today. Welcome our, uh, our regular attenders and also our, you know, our, our village, our TVC faithful on today. I uh, just stand to give a couple of announcements and some, some housekeeping stuff. Uh so yesterday uh along with Brother Lyle Lee, Reverend Lyle Lee, uh we celebrated Juneteenth as a as a church with a drive of barbecue. And we want to thank everybody, all of uh T V C faithful who came out and participated uh, to help make that uh event a success. The Lord kept the rain at bay yesterday. And uh, we had a good time. Uh, so it was it was a fantastic time. So, again, thanks for everybody who came out. So a couple of a uh, couple of other announcements here. Uh, we have a deacons meeting happening tomorrow um, at 730 p.m. And also our session will uh, be meeting on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Uh, so please. Uh, we've got some uh, very important things that are coming up. So please be in prayer uh, for our officers. Um, As we uh, as they uh, get ready, they prepare to meet on this week. Also, uh, later on in the service, of course, uh, we're going to be uh, ordaining elders uh, and deacons. So uh, really excited about that um, happening on today. Let's see here. What else we got going on? Tons of announcements today. So y'all bear with me. All right, so our corporate prayer will continue on Wednesday nights at seven p.m. Uh, so please uh, be on the lookout for email or flock note message about that meeting time. Uh, we got some we got some great news, but also some somber news. Uh, Pastor Alex will be beginning his sabbatical this week, and so he'll be out of the uh, out of the pulpit for a few months. So. Please keep Pastor Alex and his family as well lifted in prayer that they would get, get some much needed and well-deserved R&R. Uh, so, his uh, again, his sabbatical is starting this week. I think that may be it as far as announcements. I got a long email here, so let me just make sure I have announced everything. I promise I'm not texting. I wouldn't do that while i'm wearing shorts yep i think that's everything so a couple of other housekeeping things uh you may give to the vision and mission of the village church at www.enterthevillage.net forward slash give you may give by mailing a check to our address uh 2103 virginia boulevard huntsville alabama 35811 or if you hear live and in color Uh, you can drop off your offering in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. And so please uh, uh, follow us on our various social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those are your announcements. Please, as always, govern yourselves accordingly. Let's go to our Father in a word of prayer. Excuse me, we got words of preparation today. Uh, from Hebrews 12:28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Let's go to the Lord in a time of silent preparation. Father, today in your in your presence, in the presence of your people, we ask that you would exalt yourself and that you would be glorified, prepare our hearts and our minds, center our, our thoughts, our, our total being on uh, the finished work of the triune God, uh, that Christ uh, has been raised from the dead and he now makes intercession for us and we have the spirit that lives inside of us this is the truth of the gospel so lord let that be the the center of our thinking on this morning because you are you are as the song says the center of our joy we give you praise and glory and honor it is in the name of the father the son and holy spirit that i do pray amen good morning good morning
1: to everyone in the room, good morning to our friends and family at home or wherever you may be. I too am missing the podium this morning, but it's all good. If you would please stand for our call to worship, it is taken from the song, Oh, Four Thousand Tongues. Please join with me where it uh, says congregation and together. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of his grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the earth abroad the honors of your name. To God, all glory, praise, and love be now and ever given by saints below and saints above the church in earth and heaven. Amen. Please bow for a word of prayer. Father, we do want to um, and have come into this place to offer you acceptable worship. To take a few moments out of the hustle and bustle of life to corporately it in reverence and awe. How majestic is your name. How great you are. We love you, Father. We love, we are able to love you because you first loved us and that's always um, amazing to me to think about The fact that before the foundation of this world, you thought about me. You had a plan for me, for each and every one under the sound of my voice. How awesome you are. How majestic is your name. The king of glory. The great creator. The giver of life and breath. And the one who keeps me in my right mind. Father we love you. We thank you. We thank you for your son. Jesus we thank you for your willingness to give yourselves for your enemies so that we can be in right relationship with the father. So that we can be called joint heirs. So we can be part of the royal priesthood. Father we thank you. And we thank you spirit we thank you for comforting us, for giving us direction, for being the lamp to our feet and the light to our path and for petitioning on our behalf because we never really know what to pray. But you do that thing so well with all the groans and all the utterances. We thank you for that. And it's just such a privilege to stand with your people and say, thank you, Lord. It's such a privilege to be called your child. Not for anything that I've done, not because we're so great because we aren't. Our righteousness is as, as filthy rags, but God. And we so we're just appreciative. Father, again, these few moments to just stand in reverence and awe and think about your goodness, about your mercy, about your love, about your kindness, that you are all knowing, that you are just and you love mercy, that you fight for us, that in the name of Jesus, we do have the victory. You sit high and you look low, but I know I stand here And know without a shadow of a doubt that you are Emmanuel. You are with us. I I know that. Like I've never known it before. I know that you hear the cries of your and that's not just that's the whispers, that's the screams, that's the shouts. That's the, I don't have any words. All I have is tears. I know you hear all of that and you don't just hear, you move. You move on behalf of your children. I have seen you do it. And for that, Father, I say thank you. And I'm mentioning that right now as a praise to you, but also to encourage my brothers and sisters you do endear, hear, indeed hear our cries and our petitions, and you love us, and you act on our behalf. So we thank you, Father. We thank you. So in this moment, and when we leave this place, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the power, all, the, all of it is yours. All of it is yours. We love you, we praise you, we honor you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you would, please be seated.
2: See if I can hold this and read it at the same time and hold the mic. Um, The next thing that we'll do is uh, we'll read our passage of Scripture from which uh, the sermon will be based this morning. It comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 28. It's a long passage. Please hang in there with me. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven He answered them When it is evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red And in the morning it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky But you cannot interpret the signs of the times An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign But no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah So he left them and departed When the disciples reached the other side they had forgotten to bring any bread, and Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand, and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. coming in his kingdom now we'll read or we'll have a confession of faith which comes from the heidelberg catechism Uh, it should be up on the screen i'll read the question and if you would let's all read the answer together what is your only comfort in life and in death Amen.
3: Well, y'all read the confession. Do y'all believe it? That's the next question. Do you really believe it or is it just words? I do want to say Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads that are here and also the dads that are tuning in on Facebook Live. And also I empathize with those of you who are sad on this day um, because your dad's not here. And so I lament with you and I empathize with you because I'm experiencing those same uh, emotions today um, as well. Uh, we uh, We do have one more announcement. After the service, we will have a covenant baptism after the service. And so I will explain what covenant baptism means after the service. So after I give the benediction, I will ask all members and guests, if you want to stay, to stay and be part of that covenant baptism. So today is an exciting day. We are going to be ordaining some new officers, and we're also going to be commissioning some deacon assistants. So I'm really excited about that. And yeah, you can clap. Go ahead and clap. Try to get this mic together. And we're also going to be ordaining our first blight elders. So I'm excited about that as well. So um, this congregation has elected the following, following brothers to the office of deacon and elder. And so after I call your names, please come join me up here up front. Benjamin Powell and Davis Pierce to be ordained and installed to the office of a deacon. DeMarco Teague and Dennis Bradford to be ordained and installed to the office of elder. good. Each of these brothers have gone through our leadership training. Each of them have been inter- interviewed. And so these are the brothers that uh, you all have elected to serve in these offices. And so uh, the elder deacons and elders are called to serve as Christ served, that we look to them to be people of spiritual commitment, of a godly life, compassionate spirit, and sound judgment. Deacons are set apart for a ministry of mercy, service, and outreach. The elders are set apart for a ministry to watch over and care for the flock, to have oversight of the church. And so I'm going to ask each of you brothers these four, these six questions, membership vows, not membership vows, ordination vows, so you can respond by just nodding your head or, or saying yes. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament are as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible word of faith and practice? Yes. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the confession of faith, the catechisms of this church, as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? And do you further promise that if any time you find yourself out of accord with the fundamentals of this system of doctrine, you will, on your own initiative, Make known to the session the, the change which has taken place in your views since the inception of your ordination vow? Yes. Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America in conformity with the principles, general principles of biblical polity? Yes. Now, do you accept the office of ruling elder and deacon in this church and promise to faithfully perform the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church with which God has made you an officer? Yes. Do you promise subjection to your brothers in the Lord? Yes. Do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, and unity and edification of the church? Yes. Congratulations, church. Here are your new officers. if <laughs> All current officers I would invite to come forward to extend the right hand of fellowship to uh, these brothers. Thank you, brothers. Now we're going to have a commissioning of our first two deacon assistants. So, Oscar Hayes and Anson Cook, will you please come forward? They will be commissioned as deacon assistants. So the ministry of deacon assistance is like that of uh, the office of deacon. It's one of empathy, compassion, service, focusing on serving people in times of need. And so deacon assistance will work alongside of the deacons. And I'm going to throw a little plug in. So if you have a desire to be a deacon assistant, please reach out to the elders and the deacons. We We are also encouraging, if any of our sisters have a desire to be a deacon assistant, please reach out. Um, to us, and we would love to have you be part of the team. So don't hesitate. If God has given you those gifts, please reach out to us. So, brothers, I'm going to ask you guys some some similar questions that I asked the elders and deacons so you can just respond with a nod of your head. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as originally given to be the inerrant word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you approve of the form of government and discipline of the Presbyterian Church in America, conformity with the general principles of biblical polity? Do you accept the ministry role of deacon assistant in this church and promise faithfully to perform the duties thereof and to endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your life and to set a worthy example before the church of which God has called you to serve? Do you promise objection to your brethren in the Lord? and do you promise to strive for the purity, peace, and unity and edification of the church? TVC, Deacon Assistants. I will ask uh, Steve, he'll come up and do a prayer of thanksgiving for the Deacon Assistants and also for the elders and deacons. (laughs) Ha ha ha. Well, are y'all doing well today? All right, that's good. That's good. We're going to continue in our Matthew series today, called called the Way. And and this series is all about Jesus of Nazareth as the Way, the promised Way, the Fulfillment Way, the Redemptive Way. All the things that I said last week. Jesus is the Way of Justice. He is the Way of Wholeness. He is the Way of Righteousness. He is the way of flourishing. He is the way of grace and, and mercy. He is the forgiveness way. Again, all these things, I'll name it off. These are all amen statements, okay? Because these things, because, because he's these things, they benefit y'all. So he is the priestly, prophetic, and kingly way. Jesus of Nazareth is the messianic way. He's the Christ. But do y'all believe it? Do y'all confess it? Or do you simply give lip service to it on Sundays? The sermon test today is Matthew um, chapter 16, the whole chapter. And the title of this sermon is called Confession of the Way. Confession of the Way. And the main point is this. To confess Jesus means accepting his personhood and his mission. To confess Jesus is trusting in who he is, and in what he does, and how he does it. That's amen statement amen. to To confess Christ is trusting in who he is, in what he does, and how he chooses to do it. Please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, I uh, call upon you to... Bless the preaching of your word. Bless bless this this preaching of of the word and and apply it to the hearts of of everyone that is here and and everyone that is tuning in. And I I pray that you will apply it to my heart and to my mind because I'm a recipient of grace too. The preacher is not part of the Godhead. He's not. The preacher is just at the foot of the cross just like everybody else. And so, Holy Spirit, you know each of us. You know us corporately as the village church. You know us individually. So you know the things in which we struggle with. You know the places within our church and in our individual lives that need resurrection. Because we all have blind spots. We have blind spots as a corporate body. We have blind spots as individuals. None of us have arrived. When we never will. So be gracious to us, Holy Spirit. Be our counselor. Be our helper today. And it's in Christ's name that I do pray. Amen. All people, regardless of Ethnicity, gender, nationality, age, religious affiliation, economic status, and political affiliation experience defining moments in their life. and These moments are, are life-shaping events, events that are positive and negative. You see, defining moments, they change you, and they even change your outlook on life. So what defining moments have, have you experienced in your life? The death of my father back in December was a defining moment for me. Again, what are some of yours? What are some of your defining moments? One American motivational speaker, he says, in your life's defining moments, there there are two choices. There are two choices in your life's defining moments. You either step forward in faith and power, or you step backwards in fear. In the text today, the twelve disciples face a defining moment in their time with Jesus. And this moment begins when Jesus asked them two important questions. The first question he asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? The second question he asks, but who do y'all say that I am? Both questions are connected to the title and the, and the theme of, uh, of this sermon because Christ is asking, Who do the people confess the Son of Man to be? And who do y'all confess me to be? This is a defining moment for the 12. Will they step forward in faith or will they step backwards in fear? The first question has two responses. Two responses. There's the response from the general public, and then there's the response from the religious and political leaders of the day. They all have an opinion about who they think Jesus is. Who do the religious and political leaders of the day say the Son of Man is? Verses 1 through 4 give us a sense of how these leaders view Jesus. But, but who are they? Who are these religious and, and political leaders? They are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's who they are. And and both of these groups and parties, they serve in the great uh, Sanhedrin, which is the the Jewish high court during this day. And both of them come from different social classes. The the Pharisees are are members of working class families or middle class families. And and they are a lay group who, who represents the common folk. Now the Sadducees, on the other hand, they are aristocratic. They come from families of noble birth. And these groups, they're even connected with Rome. They're even connected politically with the Roman Empire. And both of these groups also have different views when it comes to Judaism. For example, the Pharisees believe in the oral law and tradition of man, held as much authority as the written scriptures. The Pharisees also believe in the supernatural, the afterlife and the resurrection. The Sadducees don't believe in the supernatural. They're after that for the resurrection. They take a more they take a literal interpretation of the Mosaic law, and the Sadducees they only accept the Torah as canon, and the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. Guess what all these differences mean for the relationship between these two parties? What what, what do you think it means for them? It's an oppositional relationship. They oppose each other. They're not buddy-buddy. They're not breaking bread together. They're not attending the same social gatherings. As one article I read says, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were in constant conflict with each other. Not only over the numerous details or rituals and the law, but more importantly, over the content and the extent of God's revelation to the Jewish people. They were in constant conflict. The two parties don't get along. They simply tolerate one another. But eventually, something happens that causes these two opposing parties to join forces. Mm, yeah, yeah. Mm. Eventually, someone shows up that causes them to unite. I'm sure you're familiar with the ancient proverb that says, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. These two parties put this proverb into action by working together against the person they see as a common enemy, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. That is Jesus of Nazareth. So who do the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees say the son of man is? He, he's a threat to their whole religious system. He's a a leader who must be silenced and, and discredited. Both parties reject and deny him. For them, he's a religious figure operating outside of their system. He's not a priest. Christ is not a priest. He's not part of their tribe. He's not from noble birth. He's not middle class. Jesus is from a working class family in Nazareth. And what does someone want to say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can the Messiah come out of Nazareth? Come on. And now all these people, if you were a a Pharisee or if you were a Sadducee, you think all these people are coming to Jesus now. And so for these religious and political leaders, Jesus is a man that must be dealt with and put down and even destroyed. Think about it. They don't like each other. But because Jesus is on the scene, hey, let's work together. Let's join forces. And please understand, saints, that that they are desperate to get rid of Jesus. The Sadducees are especially desperate. I mean, they're so desperate, they even deny certain aspects of their own religious beliefs to undermine Jesus, to test Jesus, to to entrap Jesus. Look at verse 1. It says, and the scribes and the Pharisees come to test Jesus and to ask him to show them a sign from heaven. What are they asking Jesus to do? They were requesting Jesus to do something supernatural. And, what the, and what's one thing the Sadducees don't believe in? The supernatural. They don't believe in it. But because they're desperate, they'll do anything. You see, when people feel threatened... They'll deny some of their own core values and beliefs to deal with that threat, to get rid of it. And that is, a, that is an amen statement. When you feel threatened, when you feel somebody's coming after your position and your power, you would deny things that you would never have denied before to hold on to it. And they see Jesus as that. So they come asking for a sign, show us something supernatural. And again, we can do the same thing. Now, we ain't that holy. We're not beyond doing that. I'm not talking about pagans. I'm talking about Christians. Our Savior knows. And here's the thing about Jesus. He, he knows their request for a sign is just another attempt to entrap him. He knows it's not sincere. Jesus is like, I've seen this before. you I got anything else. And I love the answer that he gives them. He, 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 the answer that he gives them, it, it makes a, a distinction between their ability to interpret the weather and their lack of ability to interpret the signs of the time. Look at verses 2, verse 2 and 3a. Jesus answers them. He answers them by saying, When in this evening you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Both of these parties, both of these groups, they're smart. They're smart. And they can predict fine weather and stormy weather by interpreting the signs in the sky. And here's the thing. Neither group questions the legitimacy of the sign that the sky is showing them. Well, they can't, they're not in a relationship with the sky. They, 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 the sky is not personal. But they can look at the sky and they see a sign there and they accept it without rejection, without question. They accept what Mother Nature is telling them. Red sky at night, shepherd's delight. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. You see, it's not from a lack of ability that prevents them from interpreting the signs of the time. They simply refuse to accept the sign that Christ has given them because they don't like him. They don't like him. They don't like him. These leaders are personally choosing to reject Christ, who is the sign of the times. He's there with them. They've seen him do miracles before. They've seen him heal people. but they would would take the sign the sky gives them before they take what Christ is doing right before their eyes, who who is flesh and blood. They can touch him. Sometimes people just don't want to believe the truth, and they don't. Neither of these parties will ever confess Jesus the right way. Their Their confession of the way is unbelief, hostility, opposition, and rejection. And some people still make those same confessions today. They simply refuse to come. They refuse to accept what God has already doing right under their noses. And listen, y'all, Jesus knows these men better than they know themselves. In verse 6, he tells the disciples, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And that statement confuses the disciples in the beginning because they think Christ is actually talking about bread. But he's not talking about bread. The leaven of, the of these leaders is their teaching. Jesus wants his disciples to continue to beware and pay attention to what these groups teach. Why? Because their teaching will mislead people. It will mislead them. That same, that same stuff can happen today in Christianity and our circles. These groups, they, 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 they have teaching on faith. They have teachings about God. They have teachings about what God requires. And according to Christ, it misleads people. Why? Because it denies Christ. And guess what else they have teachings on? They have teachings on Christ, too. Have you thought about that? We seem to think this is the, their interactions with Jesus is the only thing they're doing. They work they're, they're behind the scenes, too. They have a Christology, and it is to discredit him, to destroy him. And so Christ is saying, when you to beware of that teaching means beware of the things that they say about me, because those things are probably not going to be true. Because everybody's view of Jesus, and the thing they teach about Jesus, is crap. It ain't true. That's why you got to know the word for yourself. If you don't go back and double-check what I'm teaching you, hey, shame on you. I'm not God. I'm just a messenger. I don't get everything right. Now, if I say something that you think ain't right, you got my email, you got my phone number. Don't talk about me in the parking lot. Love me enough to call me. So they have a view of Jesus' nature and and, and personhood, but it will mislead them. And so so Jesus says, watch and beware and pay attention. And Christ does the same thing. He he isn't going to grant their request for a sign from heaven. Look at verse 4. He says to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. He calls them evil because they're morally bankrupt. He calls them adulterers because they, aren't truly, they are not truly faithful to God. Each group grows through. They're going through the motions of being moral, righteous, godly, religious, and faithful. But it's for show. It's only external. They don't love God from the heart. They don't love him from the heart. And when you don't love him from the heart, then you don't really love him at all. And neither group sees their need for a man like Jesus because they don't see their sin. Do you see yours? You would never come to the real Jesus if you think you're good enough. You would never come to to Jesus if you think your righteousness, your good deeds is enough. You would never come. Because when you're coming to him, he, you are acknowledging, I ain't got, I ain't, I'm not enough. And the things I'm doing ain't ever going to be enough. So they these guys, they deny. Let me see if I'm on my right page. Yeah, okay. These brothers deny everything that Jesus stands for in his earthly ministry, his person, his ministry, his preaching, and his miracles. And no miracle or sign will ever convince them, that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who is to come, and the one who is now here in the presence. And to be honest with you, I'm not even sure the sign of Jonah would convince them. And the sign of Jonah is, is Jesus, a reference to Jesus' resurrection. The resurrection is going to be the sign given to this current generation as proof that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But many still won't believe. Sounds familiar? Many today still don't believe. Not just outside of church, even in the church. So who do the Pharisees and the Sadducees confess the Son of Man to be? Not the Messiah, not an ally. Jesus is just an outlier. He's a teacher from the margins of life, a teacher who hangs out with sinners and tax collectors, one who breaks the Sabbath, a troublemaker who needs to be dealt with. That's how they see the Son of Man. Now, what about the regular folk? What about the general public? And remember, there's two responses to that first question that Christ asked the disciples. Who do the public say that the Son of Man is? Who do the crowds confess Jesus to be? How do the lay people and non-leaders view Jesus of Nazareth? They're way more accepting of Jesus than the religious and political leaders. You need to think about that. When you're in a position of power, the gospel, you hate the gospel. But you hate it. Because what the, what the one thing the gospel tells you to do, you have to give up everything you own for me. Right? You cannot be king and I be king. It can't be two kings. It can only be one. So when you worship power and you worship all those things, the gospel, is hard to believe it because it asks you to do what you don't really want to do. So the people, according to Jesus' disciples, he asked them, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they say, some say John the Baptist some say Elijah and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. So the general public, they, are, they aren't hostile and oppositional in, in, in how they think about the Son of Man. Their confession in a way is, is respectful and positive. They confess Jesus to be like one of the prophets. That's how they identify him. And then next, this is the question that becomes the defining moment. He looks at the disciples and he says, but who do y'all say? That I am. That you there is plural. So, you know, if Jesus was southern, he would say, but who do y'all say that I am? Amen. The focus is no longer on the general public, the religious leaders, political leaders. The focus is placed directly on the twelve. But who do y'all say that I am? I know what you told me what the people think. I already know what the Pharisees think. But y'all, my disciples, my disciples, the men that I handpicked, who do y'all say that I am? Peter, speaking on behalf of the group, replies, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You are the Christ, Son of the Living God." Those words are the proper and and right and the right way to confess Christ. The confession acknowledges who Jesus is. He's more than just a man. He's the Messiah. He's more than just a carpenter from, from Nazareth, more than someone from a working-class family, more than a moral teacher, more than a preacher, more than a prophet, more than a miracle worker and healer. Jesus is the Christ who has come into the world to save sinners. Amen. Is that your confession of Jesus today? Amen. Kids, is that your confession of Christ today? Or is he just some guy you read about in Sunday school class? Who lived a long time ago? What is your confession of him? Who is he? Who is he? Did y'all confess him to be the the, the Christ, the Son of God? Did you confess him to Jesus to be the God-Man, with two natures, human and divine. That's who he is. He's God and man. He's Emmanuel. That's who he is. And after Peter's reply, Jesus. Uh, answers him with a beatitude, and now Jesus starts to pe- speak directly to Peter. He says, "Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. No human being has made known to Peter not, none of the religious leaders of the day has made this revelation known to him and the others. It was it was made known to them by God. And here's the thing." They didn't make it known to themselves because they're smart. And this is something that we we, we should understand, too. Hanging with Jesus ain't enough. Watching Jesus do miracles, watching him preach sermons ain't enough. Coming to church ain't enough. Serving, uh, no, serving in the church, those things aren't enough. Watching Jesus do his thing isn't enough. The disciples still needed divine revelation to make known to them that Jesus is the Christ. And our Heavenly Father has supernaturally done this. He reveals this revelation to Peter and to the others. But for us, what does does this mean for us? It means our emotions and our intelligence will never bring us to to confess Christ as Lord. The Holy Spirit has to do it. Holy Spirit has to do it. I don't care how many books you read, how many Bible studies you go through, how many sermons you listen to. The Spirit of God is what leads a person to make that confession. Amen. And if you are a Christian today, you are a Christian today because the Spirit moved in you first. In John six twenty three, Jesus says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. This life giving work of the Holy Spirit is what Christian theologians call regeneration. Because without regeneration, without the spirit changing my dead heart, I would never confess. Something has to happen to a person. Because if you're dead in your trespasses and sin, how can something dead choose life? It cannot choose life. Life has to come in and and, and regenerate the dead heart so it can choose life. Yes, we choose him, but only because he moved first. Only because he moved first. God always moves first in everything. He moves, we respond. He moves and we respond. In verse 18, Jesus Jesus continues to address Peter. And his words to Peter here has caused so much debate throughout church history. A lot of debate. And your your pastor had to put in a lot of work. That's why they get done with the sermon to this morning. Sometimes I wish I could skip over passages like this, but I can't. Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Now, there are three main ways Christians have interpreted um, this verse throughout history, particularly who and what is the rock. One interpretation says the rock is Peter, One, and the second interpretation says the rock is Peter's confession of faith, and the third interpretation says the rock is, P- is Jesus Christ himself. Like last week, I had to do a lot of study, a lot of reading, and a lot of research. And so, again, what's the number one rule we're interpreting Scripture? Mm -mm. Not systematic theology. What's the number one rule? (laughs) Yes, interpret Scripture with Scripture. And that's what I try to do with this verse. And I believe I have a hybrid view of of my my view. My interpretation is a hybrid interpretation. I believe um, interpretation one and interpretation two can be joined together. Peter and his confession go hand in hand. You can't separate the two from the context here. See, each of the, each, each, each you pronoun in verses 16, 17 through 19 are singular. Jesus is speaking directly to Peter, but not exclusively to him. The beatitude in verse 17 is spoken to Peter. The keys of the kingdom are given to Peter. In verse 18, he says, I tell you, you are Peter. You see, Peter does have an important role. In the Gospel of Matthew, Peter is presented as the leader and the spokesman for the, for, the, for the disciples. Have you noticed that? He is presented that way. He's the first apostle to confess faith. He's the first apostle to preach to the Jews in Acts 2. He's the first apostle to preach to the Gentiles in Acts 10. And here's the point. Peter is first among equals. He's first among equals. And he, along with the other disciples, do have a foundational role in the development of Jesus' church. What do you think the the book of Acts shows us? It shows them taking the mission forward. So they do have a foundational role. Now what about the rock that Jesus mentions in verse 18? I believe the rock isn't referring to Peter, but to the confession he makes in verse 16. Look at verse 18 again. A word-for-word word translation of this verse will read this way. I also now say to you that you are Peter. On this, the rock, I will build my church. The Greek pronoun that's translated this is used like an adjective when it's joined to a noun. And, and, and in verse 18, it's joined to the noun rock. So, so, it's, so the translation is so, on this, the rock. That's a translation. And so what is on this to rock referring back to? It's referring back to what God, the Father, has revealed to Peter. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at verse 17b. I know I'm doing a lot of technical stuff, but you have to with, with a passage like this. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. There's this pronoun that's in this that was inserted there to smooth out the translation. In the original text, it's not even there. The original translation says, For flesh and blood has not revealed to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Inserting the pronoun this makes it clear what, has been, what it's referring to. It's referring back to verse 16. And so I want you all to understand that the main focus of verse 16 and 17 is the confession that Peter makes and who made the confession possible. Who made it possible? And so the question is, does the confession he makes disappear in verse 18 and it becomes all about Peter? Does it just disappear? Think about it like this. In verse 16, there's Peter and the confession together. In verse 17, there's Peter who is blessed and then it's a confession that has been revealed. In verse 18 and 19, there's Peter who is given the keys, keys of the kingdom as a steward, not a gatekeeper. And given authority to, to bind and to loose. And the stewardship and authority isn't just to Peter, it's for all the disciples. This is what we learn in Ephesians 4. It says, and Christ has given the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers, to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building of the body of his church. That's, what he gave, that's the role he's given them. But now what about the confession? Remember in verses 16 and 17, it's Peter and the confession so the confession revealed by God does not disappear in verse 18. On this rock, on this, the rock is the confession that Christ, is, Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God. That's the rock on which he will build his church. And he will never let the gates of hell prevail against it. Because it's built on him. But do y'all believe it? Do you really believe it? Do you all confess it? Or do you think you're the reason why the church grows and flourishes? Do you think it's your progressive or conservative Christianity that causes the church to grow and flourish? We have some Christians who function like Christian superheroes, Guardians are orthodoxy. Guardians are orthopraxis. Christ does not need us. You got to understand. You know who really tried to destroy the church? Rome. Wrong. Wrong. They tried to. What we're going through in America, it doesn't compare to, to, what I, to what our brothers and sisters went through back then. They tried to destroy the church. He, he tried to destroy it. He, Christians were burned to the stake. They were fed to lions. But guess what? The more they persecuted the church, the more it grew. There's a reason why the persecuted church grows. Because the Savior is the persecuted Savior. And so, you can relax. You can take off your cape. You can take off your Christian sh- superhero cape, and sit down and relax and know your role. Christ is the creator, the builder, and sustainer of His church, not us, not our vision statement, but the mission statement. I love our vision and mission statement, but it's not the foundation, not our ministries, not our programs. And this should be good and wonderful news. It should be. It is not up to you to hold the church together. And I'm not talking about individual churches and denominations. Okay? Because individual church and denominations fall. I'm talking about the church universal, both visible and invisible. That's the church that will prevail. It will always be here. It ain't going nowhere. And please know, you're not that important. God is doing it. And remember, he spoke through a donkey. Okay? So, whenever you think you're up here, just remember, he spoke through a donkey. So, he doesn't really need you. He's God all by himself. Now, he uses us as stewards in this whole thing. And that is a privilege, not an entitlement. It's a privilege. So thank him that you get to share in this work, in this journey, and what he's doing. For all the honor and all the glory will always be to him. Always. The disciples' confession of Jesus is a wonderful defining moment for them. But that defining moment for them isn't over. Because remember, the theme of this sermon is to confess Jesus means to accept his personhood and his mission. To confess Jesus is trusting in who he is and what he does and how he chooses to do it. So after the confession away, Jesus begins to show the disciples what he's going to experience when he gets to Jerusalem. Because it's like you have this really good news then Jesus says, now I'm going to give you some other news that is probably not going to be so good to you. That's kind of what happens here. Because he tells them that he's going to suffer when he gets to Jerusalem. He will be beaten and crucified and buried and resurrected. Look at verse 21. From that time, meaning after the time that they confessed him, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem Suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised and that's like you you have that balloon, and Jesus just burst your balloon like what won one won, really? like this is how this is going to end, and the disciples don't take it well, especially Peter. Because Peter, you know, he don't, he, he always vocal, but again, he's the spokesman. So he stands up and he begins to rebuke Jesus. The one who he just confesses to Christ. Far be from it, Lord, that this should happen to you. Peter can't imagine that the Christ, and I understand, he can't imagine that the Christ, the Son of the Living God, is going to experience such humiliation. But here's the thing. Christ coming in the incarnation is humiliation. Okay? Him hanging out with them is a humiliation. <laughs> it ain't just gonna happen and when he gets to Jerusalem. Because he left glory to come down here to be formed in the image of man. But the disciples can't reconcile in their minds that the Christ is going to be killed. They can't make sense of it. Because the Messiah is supposed to make all things right. He's supposed to make all things new. He's supposed to defeat the enemies. He's not supposed to die like a criminal. He's going to make all things new. But he's going to do it his way. And how he's going to do it is through his death and resurrection. We don't get to tell Jesus what kind of Messiah he is. That's already spelled out in Scripture. Jesus' future death at the hands of mankind serves a higher purpose. He's going to, again, again, they didn't take his life. He willingly gave it to them. Okay? Don't don't, don't get it twisted now. Because you can get that off that cross anytime you want it to. He's going, he willingly sacrificed himself for your sins. That's why he's going to Jerusalem to die. For real sins. For enemies. You need need to put yourself in that category. Before you were his child, you were his enemy. Enemy. But Christ dies for enemies, he dies for sinners. He turns sinners into saints, orphans into sons and daughters. That's what he does through his death. And Romans 4, 24 says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. That's what he's going to do. That's his work. So if you're going to confess Jesus the Messiah, you also got to confess his finished work. It goes just together. Because if he did not die on that cross, man, we are in trouble. And if he didn't get up from the grave, we're still in trouble. So it's either true or, man, we are the biggest idiots in the whole world. And I have wasted all my time going to seminary and writing sermons every week if this stuff ain't true. But it is true. Because God's word says it's true. Not because man says it. After Peter rebukes Christ, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You can confess Jesus to be the Christ and still have your mind set on the things of man when it comes to his mission, when it comes to his work as Messiah, when it comes to his ministry as Messiah. And to confess him means you confess who he is and you confess what he does. It's both and. So how do you have your mind set on the things of man when it comes to the work of Jesus today? I can't answer that question for you. But is it on the things of man or is it on the things of God? Because so he said to the disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is life and death, people. This is life and death. And Jesus is making it plain as day. If you're going to come after me, if you're going to confess me, profess faith in me, then you will have to deny yourself because I want all that you have, all of it. And for all the kids and youth here, this is good news because what Jesus is telling you is that if you want to flourish, the way of flourishing is through denial, through giving yourself to me, your whole being, your whole self, your whole life. If each of you can understand that now, you're going to have so much joy in your Christian life. So much peace in your Christian life. You may struggle with idols, but you'll learn not to live with them. You'll learn to confess them. Christ loves you. And no one's ever going to love you the way that he loves you. Your parents won't. Your mama won't, your daddy won't, your grandma won't, your pastor won't, your elders won't, your siblings won't. But Jesus does. And so the invitation is is there. The invitation is for anyone who does not have faith in Jesus, anyone who, who is living for other things, anyone who is trying to find life for, from other idols, Jesus' hands are extending out to you. All you got to do is take them. All you got to do is take them. All you got to do is grab hold of them. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods. I'm telling you the truth. We all got a God. We all have a Savior. And some of y'all's Saviors are just sinking sand. Money, wealth, education, material things. We can enjoy those things, but they're poor Saviors. Because you can never have enough money. You can never have enough stuff. Think about kids. Daddy, if you give me this one toy, I, I swear I never asked for anything else in my life. And we all, every parent no, Dude, that is a lie. Because eventually you get tired of it and you want something else. That's what false saviors are. You get tired of them. Then you got to go to another one. But with Jesus, you only need One. One. Will you come? Will you come? A true confession of the way leads to surrender. All to Jesus we surrender. All to him we freely give. We will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. All to Jesus we surrender. Humble at his feet we bow. Worldly pleasures we all forsake. Take us, Jesus. Take us. Us now, please pray with me. Lord Jesus, you are a wonderful Savior, and I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for what you do and how you do it. Because of who you are and because of what you've done, we all can have a personal relationship with the Father. We can be sons and daughters. We can take our seat at the table. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Please stand for uh, the benediction. But also after the benediction, please take your seat because we're going to have the covenant baptism. Here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now may the God of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all, and all God's people said, Amen.